119. Psalm 119. We're going to start in verse 1 and read all 167 <laughs> verses. I will comment painstakingly on each one. A word study thoroughly gone through. And... Uh, I am in the New Living Translation. That is not what I want. Give me a second to change that. We are ESV people. All right. Psalm 119, starting in verse 65. I will read to verse 72. Uh, Before we read, could you please look at the name of the title of the message today? The grace of affliction. Starting in verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I will keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling, like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord God, that's always bringing us into a knowledge of you that defies logic, reason, and at times understanding, Father God, for you treat us, Father God, as your children, who you deeply love, Father God, and you will stop at no means to bring us to the image of Christ. You will stop at no means, Father God, to have your children praise your name on this earth, Father God. You will not let rebellion, sin, stubbornness, indifference, Satan, this world, false teachers or anything, get in the way of you love for us, Father God. God, our sins and our rebellion do not intimidate you. You've chosen to love us with a covenant love, Father God. And we are the grateful recipients of that precious blood of Christ. God, bless me. Bless this service, Father God, as we go through this word. Let us understand the depth of the grace of affliction, Father God. Let us recognize within our own lives, Father God, that at times, this is the way you love us. God, bless this service we ask. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the next several weeks, at least, I will be speaking about uh, correction. That the Christian community is a community of correction. I've chosen to start off with this psalm and to speak about the grace of affliction. But how are we a people who receive correction? How how, how do we deal with it? The Bible teaches us clearly that we're all going to be disciplined by the Lord if we're his children. But how do we receive correction? Do we receive it saying, give it to me, Lord, correct me? (laughs) Are we the hypersensitive, don't say a word about me? Or we the... I can listen, but my hands are going to stay up and I'm going to knock you down if I hear something I don't want to hear. Or whatever. You fill in the blanks. But the truth of the matter is we all need to be corrected. It says that the discipline 
disciplines are for the way of life. I believe that's Proverbs chapter 10. And I will be speaking about that as we go along. That a healthy Christian life is prepared by discipline and correction and rebuke and instruction by the Lord. And, and the means through the word and through friends and through pastors and preaching and, and all different means. We're going to go through all this stuff over the weeks to come on how God gets our heart and gets our attention over the things we are just sort of maybe growing insensitive to and we don't even realize. And, and we might not realize we're going wayward as this psalmist didn't even realize until God bring affliction and correction into his life. Then he could praise God again. But many times this happens in our life and we don't even realize it. It's a silent killer. Waywardness is a silent kill. Uh, we'll be going through some uh, examples of this over the weeks. But I, I chose this one as, as it says here, the grace of affliction, we just read it. Uh, and and it, there's a design on it. And I just want to get my notes together here. And this is one of the, the hidden elements within Christianity. It's one of the hidden elements of how God... <coughs> Uh, deals with his sons and deals with his daughters. We need this, though we don't always see it. We might not agree with it at first, we might not recognize it at first, but the truth be told, many of us have experienced this, and we can cry out with the psalmist, your past is one of them, I thank God for the affliction in my life. I can reflect on my life and see how good God was to me in some of the most trying times in my Christian life. It's a God dynamic that is always in some way, some degree, at work within the Christian community. doesn't mean it's always against us individually, but most Christians can look back at their life. If someone says, you know, I'm a Christian for so many years, and I believe I'm maturing in the faith, and they can probably uh, identify with this sermon today and what our psalmist is saying. Correction through affliction. It's a tough thought. But we know it's true. We're going to see it tonight. And probably as I go through uh, the verses, you might see it up and operating in your own life now. Or maybe soon. Or put it this way. If you, didn't, if you haven't gone through it in the past, and you're not going through it now, chances are you will go through it in the future. And if you have gone through it in the past, and you are going through it now, chances are you still might have to go through it in the future. It's an extension of God's wisdom and genuine love. For his people. Though it is often misunderstood. Worse than being misunderstood. Is being misdiagnosed. We have to have an understanding. Of why God allows. Certain things to happen. This psalm we hear first hand. As someone's. In this psalm we hear first hand. Someone's deep gratitude. Toward God. And their high view of God's word. And God's will for them. When he says. God's word, and that's the whole, the whole psalm is about God's word. He's speaking about God's will for God's people. Let's break that down. It's not just some kind of abstract word. It is God's word through the scriptures expressing his will to his people. How to live. And their great insights into God's way of dealing with them and their waywardness and it's for their benefit, it's not for their harm. We truly have a picture, a before and after picture. We have something of, before your affliction came, I was wayward. You know, it's like one of those TV commercials, you know. 
Someone went on one of those slim fast diets, and 26 hours later, they were like, you know, a brand new person, you know, and, uh, you know, you get that sort of like uh, silhouette picture, you know, like that. And, uh, and, and that's what the psalmist is doing over here. Let me give you an example of how this works, an illustration from a personal life. An example of mine, I taught martial arts for many years. I had this one gentleman, I remember when he came to me, he was 300 pounds of mess. That's all he was, but he was one ambitious 300 pounds of mesh. And uh, he was very willing. He was pretty talented, but he wasn't overly blessed athletically, but he had great desire. And uh, over the years, he actually became my best student. He was a wonderful martial artist, a wonderful karate man, a great fighter. Uh, he came early every day. He left late every day. He gave it 100%. Every minute of the class, he did this for years. He became very good. Became a fire day, traveled the fort, got his black belt under me, and so on and so forth. And one day I recognized him starting to come in a little later. He was the man who got the class going. You need that kind of student. He was one of them. He started coming in late, started leaving early. I could see he was distracted throughout the whole class. I recognized something has changed in him. And after about several weeks of this, he wasn't breaking out of it, so I did what my teacher taught me to do. The hard way I learned this is that at probably 15 minutes to the end of the class, I would sit everybody down and I would have him fight one person after another, after another, after another. 10, 15 minutes of continuous fighting, uh, he was afflicted. But that's how we do it in karate. And uh, after about two or three weeks, he came up to me and goes, Sensei, I just want you to know thank you. I didn't realize it was getting soft. I really was getting soft, and I had no idea. Just wanted, I just want to thank you for taking the time out and giving me that special attention and put me back on the right path. That's what we have going on spiritually. We have that kind of illustration going on here. This is where our psalmist was. It is where we could be today, and chances are we will be tomorrow, at least somewhere in our life, we will find ourselves needing God's hand in our life, sometimes his heavy hand. To a certain degree, we all need this, depending on our non-compliance mentality we have. Christians like to have a non-compliance mentality. I love you, but non-compliant. Does not work here. Don't want to hear about this. Don't want to know this. I know I'm saved. I, I love God. I know He loves me. So, uh, according to this non compliant attitude that we have, we'll determine on the length and strength of the affliction. Let's go to our text and see what we can learn from it. We'll start in verse 65. I'm not going to go through every verse, so I'll probably just go through. Uh, Three or four verses here. To make our point. You have dealt well with your servant, the psalmist says. He says, O oh Lord, according to your word. Well, if you're not familiar with what he's saying there, most likely it's an, allu uh, uh, it's an allusion to Deuteronomy and uh, the laws found in Deuteronomy, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where he says, If you obey me, you have life. If you disobey me, you have death. And we have that kind of promise thing going on in Deuteronomy. We see it in Leviticus. And uh, most likely the psalmist here has drifted away from the word of God. He had drifted away from obedience 
to God. First we see the psalmist in speaking from, he's a mature believer now. He's speaking in hindsight. He's reflecting. He's contemplating. He's looking at his life. He could be like sort of Solomon was in Ecclesiastes as he looks back and reflects on the vanity of vanities because he was not living according to the will of God that's clear in the word of God. And he reflects and all he can say is living under the sun, life under the sun, without God is vanity of vanities. This is his perspective. He's a mature man now. This doesn't mean he wrote this at a time of months or years right after, but this could be many years of reflecting on this great time in his life when God brought great affliction into his life. His reflection teaches that God always, always deals favorably to us, even though we cannot see it at the time. When we sang that song, I forget the lyrics, but it stuck to me. I think it was Romans, you know, 828, that it all works for good. This is a man that could agree with Paul. God, you're right. It all does work for good for those who love you. No matter what comes into my life, he's not in his head. He says, God, you're a good God. I can see your wisdom in everything now. I can see that the affliction that was heavy on me, it was your heavy hand upon me. I can actually see now and agree with your divine wisdom on my life. You have dealt well with your servant. He's in agreement with God's wisdom. The word well means to be good or joyous, pleasing or suitable or desirable or lovely. Here it means for his well-being. He's actually saying, God, all your intentions are only good towards me. All your intentions are only desirable and good and joyful and Pleasing towards me. Every, every thought you have towards me is nothing but the best. No one could have my best intentions in their heart like you can, God. Everything is for my good. The affliction was for my good. I could have never thought or seen that I needed affliction in my life. But God, you did well with your servant. You really have, God. I thank you. I see clearly now, God, I was foolish then. I was foolish. But I see clearly now, you've done, you have dealt well with your servant, God. Verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. We can read, we can study, we can listen to preaching and teaching, but at the end, only God can truly drive the point home into our heart to experience the power of the word. Let me paraphrase what the psalmist is saying here. Now I know that living for you is true life and joy. And that this world is full of dead ends and detours that only, that only sound judgment and spiritual discernment can help me avoid. He's reflecting. He's looking back. He's seeing the life in the word now. Young believers don't see the importance. They don't see the life. They don't see the discernment in the word of God. There are times we can think, I can outsmart God. and I'm getting away with something and it's okay. I don't feel the pain. All that glitters is not gold. 
And we think we're getting away with something for years. And I think about the Proverbs 24 man that says, I went by the field of the sluggard. And I looked. And I perceived a little folding of the hands. A little lazy. A little slumber and a little sleep. And you're the thief comes upon you or your destruction comes upon you like a thief all of a sudden it happens God has to teach us the power of his word he says here in verse 67 and I'm going to read 71 with it so we can put both of those up 67 and 71 Excuse me. <clears throat> before I was afflicted I went astray but now I keep your word. 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Here's the heart of this section, and most likely probably the reason for the whole psalm. 160, I believe, seven verses is in this psalm. And he's reflecting on the waywardness of his heart. He's looking back over the years. He's looking back at at least a season in his life where he was far from God. Not necessarily, I want everybody to listen to this, not necessarily obvious to anybody else, but definitely clear to God. It might not have been overtly sinful, outwardly, where someone could call you out on something. This could have been a total issue of the heart. Could have. He says, I went astray. In the Hebrew, he's saying, I wandered. I erred. I transgressed. I, I did wrong is what the word means. I went astray. You can only say you went astray when you have a, uh, 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 you can compare it to a time you walked with the Lord. This is a backslidden man. This is a man at one time was not led astray, what did not go astray, but he walked with the Lord. But he went astray. He wandered from the faith. He neglected his duty as a believer to do what Proverbs 3, 5 says. What does Proverbs 3, 5 tell us? Trust, Trust in your Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. And what does he say in, in 4.22? To guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. He, he didn't do this. He wandered from that. He didn't, he didn't trust in the Lord with all his heart. He didn't, he didn't protect his heart for out of it flow the issues of life. He opened himself up to wandering, to be deceived, to walk away from God. It's a dereliction of a believer's duty to guard our heart with all diligence. Somehow sin or sloth of indifference entered into this man's life and and as we spoke about several weeks ago about how the things of the world, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things choke out the word slowly over a period of time. Sometimes it's a prolonged period of time. You don't see what Hebrews chapter 2 says, that they drifted away. That people were drifting. And it's, it's a slow process. Slow. Until someone's gone. Maybe it was prosperity that did it. Maybe prosperity came in and, and, and is the real culprit behind this. And they lost their dependence on God. 
as Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 teaches, when you prosper in the land, do not forget the Lord your God. Prosperity has led many, many people away from the Lord. It's a basic coldness towards God and coldness towards others that this psalmist at one time had in their life. In God's mind, they've gone into the far country. You know who went to the far country? The prodigal son. He went into the far country. At least in his heart, this psalmist went into the far country, if not in real life circumstances. At this point, it's important to know, only affliction and divine distress holds out any hope for this person. Please understand that. It's at this point, when God gives a believer over to the afflictions of their sin, that is the last stop. That means nothing else has worked. God only shows up with the affliction when he has exhausted every other means of grabbing the believer's attention. This is God's last work. The pastor cannot help, the spouse cannot help, the friend, the parent, they're all useless now though they were probably used by God along the way through preaching and counseling, warning, correction. At this point, the only thing that will work is affliction. It's the last card of God's sleeve. Now, only divine intervention of the painful kind can lead this backslidden spiritual person back to health. Please understand this is a critical time in this person's life. Understand something. When God has to use the heavy hand, he is saying it is do or it is die. God knows what tomorrow brings. We do not. We don't know how far our sin will take us. We don't know how far our indifference, our backsliding can take us. Because sin always takes the man further than he ever wanted to go. And it always costs more than any man wants to pay. This is critical. This is not a band-aid. This is not a tourniquet. This is serious surgery. Out of mercy, God brings affliction, brings pain. To humble, not to hurt. To make a person see their spiritual condition. The prodigal son finally saw his condition. Listen to what it says. But when he came to himself, he said, 
how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. He could have added with the pigs. This has been the experience of many believers over the centuries to the praise of God's glorious grace. Affliction, distress, and pain have become this man's tutor, has become God's ally. This is truly the heavy hand of not just God, it's the heavy hand of God the Father, who loves his child too much to see them wrapped up in the things of this world. Here the wisdom of Hebrews is appropriate, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son who he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Truly, this is the psalmist's cry. Truly, he can say, your word is a lamp unto my feet now. Truly, he can say, your precepts of righteousness. Truly he can say your word produces fruit. Truly this man has gone under the chastisement, the heavy hand and the affliction of God because now he knows he's a son of God. Why? That total dependence on God can be birthed in us. That's the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness that the Hebrews is talking about is not just some kind of happy feeling. It is the deepest peaceful, content meant a human being can possess. A soul fully satisfied with God alone. Understand something. That is God's design on all of us. But it doesn't take affliction at all times to bring this into our life. We can taste of that without heavy affliction. But this is the heavy hand of God. Make no. This is no easy, this is not like what James says in James chapter 1, count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. No, 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 no. This is not trials of various kinds. This is the heavy hand of God. This is the affliction, divine, purposeful, intentful affliction of God. Afflictions come in many forms. Only God knows what's best. And they're usually tailored to fit our specific area of rebellion. I want you to listen. Let me give you some biblical examples. The prodigal son wanted money in the fast life. He got bankrupt, destitute, no money, no friends, no nothing. So of everything he wanted, of everything he ran for, God gave it to him. And then he gave him nothing. Then he remembered his father's house. Affliction breaks us of self-dependence and pride. Sickness. God will bring sickness into his children's life. Do you know who Hezekiah is? He was a great king who drifted at the end of his life. And God bring affliction and disease and sickness and said, you're going to die. Hezekiah cried out, oh God, I don't want to die. 
Isaiah didn't get out of the temple and said, go back to Hezekiah and tell him, I heard your prayers and I saw your tears. You're going to live 15 more years. God, we use sickness. Backstabbing friends. Do you not know that the section of the psalm we just read is dealing with that very subject? The lies of the people. It looks like the affliction he received was from people. They did it to Jesus. I could be off in one area over here and go, sir, I'll send some nice wicked malice people into your life. Make life difficult for you. How about enemies? God will use enemies. That's the way he treated backslidden Israel for years. He afflicted them with their own enemies. He would send the Philistines. He would send the Moabites. He would send the Babylonians and the Assyrians again and again and again against them for their idolatry and their backslidden condition. As I said, bankruptcy with the prodigal son. He loved money, ended up with nothing. He used domestic problems. He did it to David. David hurt another man's life. He stole another man's wife, then killed the other man. And after he wouldn't do anything about it, the prophet was sent to him and said, your sins are forgiven, but the sword's not coming from your house. And God raised up a sword in his son Absalom in his own house, bringing upon him great domestic problems. How about slavery of some sort? God will lead people in their addictions until they're finally broken of the addiction. God's not into a couple of dry months. God is into a transformed Christian. I think of that man who was enslaved as an addict to sex. Samson. We think that women were Samson's problems. Women were not Samson's problems. Sex was Samson's problem. And a woman ruined for the price of sex. Understand something. God used all these people again in ministry. God blessed them all. It is in this way that God crushes our pride and our waywardness so that we are ready and willing to receive His truth. It's like a farmer breaking up the fallow ground, the hard soil that it can receive new seed. The word of God can't get into this believer's life anymore. The heart's wayward. There's no room for the word of God. None at all. It doesn't receive the rebuke, correction, or instruction from preaching and teaching and counseling anymore. It's gone. The pastor's counsel is not worth it. The spouse's counsel is not worth it. The friend's counsel is not worth it. Only affliction. It's only through this process to some degree that we can be a people who say, but now I keep your word. And God says, that's all I ever wanted you to do. That's what it was all about to begin with. That's all I ever, I didn't want to put you through this. 
Don't you remember how I spoke to you kindly and patiently and lovingly? Don't you know how I warned you through the preaching and the teaching of the word? How I sent good Christian men and women into your life to, to encourage you in this way. But you wouldn't listen. This is all I wanted for you. I wanted you to come and to keep the word of God. Application. Half-hearted devotion finally caught up to this believer. Finally caught up. Understand something. I think everybody knows what James chapter 5 says. Chapter 4, sorry. God's a jealous God. Friend of the world is hatred towards God. God loves us too much to see our affections anywhere else but on Him. And He lovingly strategically goes through a process of wooing us to himself in love, patience, kindness. But when the time comes, and understand something, there's not, uh, not every believer is going to go through this. They're not. They're not. But we all have the potential to put ourselves in this position because of the way we live. If I don't listen to the word now, and I slowly start closing my heart to the word of God. Sooner or later, that heart's, my heart's going to get so cold and so callous that it's going to take an inbreaking of God through affliction to finally get my attention. We need to be careful here because we need to be careful about a, a diagnosis or a misdiagnosis. This is not about, well, you know something, brother or sister, I think your afflictions are caused by God. I think you're dying because there's secret sin in your life. Please, I know that sounds funny. People say it. People love to sound like the prophet. They just love it. Understand something. There's one answer. Only God knows. All right? Only God knows. As a pastor, I would never, never, Say that this is what's going on in your life. I'm to do what James chapter 5 says. If you come to the elders and you're sick, let's go through your life. Is there sin in your life? All right, now let's get to the sin problem over here. And maybe it's the root of your sickness. And if you repent and accept, then you know, the joy of God will come to your life and you'll be healed. Okay? There's something different there. We usually find out after the fact, as the psalmist did. And this is why. Once God starts this process, only God can stop it. That's it. And it won't be stopped until a lesson is learned. Please understand that. Once God starts, starts this process, even if I think it's God, as a pastor, I step back. And say, God, let thy will be done. Because once God goes into this critical mass, into this critical, crucial situation, there is nothing humanly possible. All the intercession in the world by a million saints won't stop the hand of God until God gets his way. Hezekiah changed. Manasseh changed. These men, Manasseh was one of the most wicked, if not the most wicked 
of all the kings of Israel. And they dragged him off into Babylon. And there he repented. And God bring him back, put him on the throne. And from there he made all sorts of great reforms in the nation of Israel. Once God starts this process, this is how serious it is. This is how bad the saint has gotten. Once someone has drifted so far away from God that it takes the heavy hand of God's love and affliction to come into their life, there is nothing you can do but step back and say, God, in judgment, remember mercy. Remember mercy, God. And remember this, when you see it, you can praise God. Because no matter how physically, emotionally, or mentally painful it is, only good can come out of it. Only good is designed for it, and only good and only good can possibly ever come out of it. Only God really knows the root issues being worked on. Only God knows the full depth of the person and why they will walk away from such a loving father. Only God knows the depth. Only God has the the ability and the tools to dig down so deep as to remove every root there is. Understand something. This is divine surgery. And no matter how painful it is, this doctor has never lost one patient. They all come back to sing his praise. Doctor, it was painful. Bless you for it. That's what our psalmist is saying. Bless you. Before affliction came, I went astray. We all need to reflect on how this has been worked out in our own lives. And to encourage people like Psalmist is encouraging us over the thousands of years. Let me have some closing remarks from personal experience. How do we know? Do we get paranoid now and think of this prolonged sickness and the hard times in my life that's God afflicted me? Is that the first thought we go to? No. But it's always healthy to say, God, are you getting my attention? There's nothing wrong with that. God, are you getting my attention? Is there a root problem that I don't see? It's not clear to me. It's not clear to others. God knows. This doesn't take brain surgery. I don't mean to be insulting. All this is is a simple God. I believe David says it the best. Search my heart. Amen. See if you find any unclean yes. thing in me, God. Search it's between you and God. Yes. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you say, you know, something I heard. No, we'll pray with you. But this is not self-condemning. It's not being self-righteous. If you even think this is going on in your life, you can lovely go to Father and say, God, help me understand. Help me understand. This is all done in love. All of it. To grab our attention. This is not retribution. This is education. It's a big difference. Whatever pain I personally experienced in my Christian life, whether I can contribute to sin or some other disobedience in my life, it has always drawn me closer to God and to His Word. Always. And if it had nothing to do with sin, 
it always still draws me closer to God because where else are we going to go when we're in pain? But to God. Not every hardship is due to sin and weightiness, but every hardship can lead to a greater devotion to God. Let's be careful with this teaching. Let's be sensitive at all times, not thinking that every affliction in a friend or a brother or a sister's life is the judgment and chastisement of God. But let's not get too haughty to think that we're beyond God's affliction and God's discipline. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for ever giving us a deeper understanding, Father God, of how you deal with your children, Father God. The last thing you want is for us to drift away because all you ever wanted us to say was that I come to your word. I do your word. That's all you ever want, God. That's where your will, that's where your way, that's where your joy, that's where your peace, that's where your power, that's where happiness is, Father God. That's where real righteousness and peace and contentment really are, is I do your word, I do your will, God. That's only good towards us at all times and all circumstances throughout our entire life, Father God. And God, if there's anybody here that might think the message applies to them or applied to them or... Whatever it might be, Father God, I, I pray that you speak again to their heart through the preaching of the word and not through the pain of affliction. Speak to their heart through the preaching of the word and not through the pain of affliction, Father God. Use the kind language of the preaching, God. Soft and sensitive. Wooing us back to you at all times, Father God. Bless your children, I ask.